I have to say before I begin, I've never done anything with someone who's actually painting. So I'll forget about him. You forget about me and we'll just go about our task unless you want to trade with me. And I do this, you know. Yeah, and you laugh Um, and you do, too. I just want to say, kids, our hope is that um, in this message, you, if you can't um, stay with me, which it may be difficult at times, that you don't bug your parents too much. Okay, and, and you also maybe watch this or try and draw something on your own that maybe matches that. But we're really thrilled as a whole church and whole church family to be together. And you know what? I realize and we realize parents. Uh, so don't get all upset if your kids are, you know, you hear noise. That's part of being a family together. Um, and and we're just going to enjoy that as well. Let's pray. Father, take these words, I pray, and the things that you say in this passage and help us understand how deeply you do love us, that you have come to fill us with your love so that we can love you so appropriately back and love others in the same way. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. You know, Palm Sunday is all about identifying who Jesus is, and it's all about when Jesus came in on that that donkey that day and people began to respond and started shouting, Um, the question that was being asked was, who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? And it was a sense of, can we recognize the Messiah, which is what we want to talk about today. And so I thought maybe to start out, it would be a good thing just to maybe see if we could recognize some very important personages in our midst, in our culture, some cultural icons, in some cases, just people who have had significance. And so I thought maybe kids on the first one, I want to let you respond, okay? Kids, you tell me. I heard it from someone... President Obama, very good. We should all know who our president is. Um, and then parents. And those of you who are older, you get to try the next one. Dora the Explorer, right? Um, I'll let anybody do on this one. Yeah, that's right, right. Now, now in our church family. <laughs> very good. And then... Someone I think many of us know in this nation, in this country, because so often around election time, we begin to ask this question. Who is it? We ask around election time, often we're saying, will there ever be another president so full of integrity, a a president who is sacrificially committed to the people of this nation, that they would actually have that kind of heart that Abraham Lincoln has? Do you know that every Passover, every time this, this meal came about in the life of those who were a part of the Jewish community, they asked us very similar question. They were asking a question similar to what we would ask. They would say, God, will there ever be a leader that you will send again, a leader like Moses, a leader like Joshua? God, will there ever be a leader, as you have promised, who would come and carry the power and presence of God like David did. They would ask that question and wonder whenever Passover came because it was this great act of God's love on their behalf so that they could love Him and love others. And they'd begin to ask this question. That was the question every good Jew would ask. And so as they came into this week of triumphal entry and he came into this time when he came in and he acted out in an indirect way, made a claim that he was the son of David, the Messiah, the anointed one, and then he went from there the next day into the temple and cleansed the temple, making again, not a direct statement, he didn't say it out loud, he acted it in a parabolic way. Instead of, you know, how we teach sometimes in parables, he acted these out, and this one he acted out in this sense as he cleansed the temple, because they all knew that the Messiah to come was going to go ahead and right what is wrong and bring justice, and so he came in and he did that. 
And they began to ask themselves. It was spread like, you know, how it, on, on the, the communication vines throughout that city. And you need to remember in that time when people came on Passover, they came from all over the world. Those Jews who had been dispersed in countries all around the world would travel for that one time a year back to this place where they would see relatives, where they would come back for this high and holy day. They would be God-fearing Gentiles who would come. And so they would be dispersed all throughout the city. Every hotel room was filled as well as it was out in Bethany and some of the outer lying areas. And they heard about this man, Jesus, and the word that was going around, even after that waving of the palms, people were saying, who is this? Who is this? Now, you need to understand what Matthew is doing, and I want to bring you to understand the context of this story that we're going to look at today, because after he cleansed the temple the very next day, that that um, Tuesday was what I call the day of controversy, the day of questioning and challenging who Jesus is. And you, you need to understand, if you had your Bible, you can see that you begin in Matthew right after that story, Matthew 21, after the cleansing of the temple, verses 23 to 27, they come to him with a question. Those people are saying, by what authority do you do this? I mean, show us your credentials. You're making some kind of claim that you're something here, that you at least are trying to lead people to think you're Messiah, so give us the credentials. And so Jesus responds with three parables. He tells three stories. He begins and he tells the story about two sons. And then he tells the story of the, of, the, of the parable of the tenants. And then he tells this last story of the wedding banquet. And his response is, here is what you have seen. You've seen people of God, prophets of God, come again and again and you reject them. And, he, and he's causing them to kind of come to grips with, they are going to have to make a choice. You know what's so interesting is God forces not just in that day, but in this day, every person has to come to some kind of conclusion with their heart and then with their voice. Who is this Jesus? And, 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 and what you see here is these three stories and they come then with three challenges. So he challenges them with three stories. So you have this question, well, who authority? Three stories that Jesus gives that challenges them. And they come with three questions to challenge him. And they say, what about taxes? What about the resurrection? What's the greatest law, which we spoke about last week? And then Jesus asked a question. Isn't that interesting? Now he goes, let me ask you a question. You've been challenging me and you've been asking questions. Here's the real question. Here's what you need to begin to understand. And so Jesus, I think out of love, asked this question. Matthew 22, verses 41 through 46. He's in a sense saying, you've seen enough. You've watched enough. I've been with you now for three years. Publicly, he says in verse 41, it says, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. And he said to them, how is it then that David, speaking by the spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him any questions. Now, if you're like me and you read this story, you kind of go, well, why were they so, what was the big deal? Why were they so silenced? What was going on here? That they were afraid at this point to ask questions. 
Oh, this is really important. And so kids, I'm going to ask you, you know, I'm going to kind of get into this a little bit. So I'm going to, now you can kind of watch over here and do your thing. Let your parents listen as best they can. But here's the issue. It's all about the identity of Jesus. And Jesus doesn't ask this question, and he's not asking it to win a debate. This is not a debate. Jesus forces the question because now he says it's, it's time. You have seen enough. You have experienced enough. You have heard enough. He kind of calls the question. It kind of happens sometimes in business meetings. He call for the question. It's enough. He calls the question. And he asks them to make a decision. And I'm going to ask some of you to think about that too, making a decision today. In some area of your life. And he asks, as he does then, as he does today, do you recognize who Jesus really is? See, that's the real issue, Jesus is saying. It's not about taxes, about resurrection, about the law. We're so caught up on trying to be right. And Jesus is so caught up about the heart and relationship to God. And he, he asks that question because here's the real issue. If, if you can't see God in me, there's a good chance you won't see God at all. And so he asks, as the Pharisees come to him, what do you think about the Christ? And we so often in our culture don't realize, because we're just not as biblically literate. A lot of times we think Christ is the last name of Jesus, right? Christ was the Greek word for Messiah, the anointed one. And so he's saying, who do you think about the Christ? And in fact, how do you picture him? What did you think he would be like when he came? Um, help me understand, when, if you're looking for this Messiah, what you thought would be the case so that you could recognize the characteristics of who this one is. How will you know, he says, this Christ, the anointed one, is what it actually means. Who, by anointed, it means it's like taking and pouring in sense. This one who has the Holy Spirit pouring all over him. How would you even recognize him? Let me put the challenge this way for you to really think about this. Do you recognize God when he when you when when he's before you? Do you see him when he is in your midst? Do you hear him when he speaks to you? If the Messiah showed up in our church, would we be able to see the work of God? If he's in your family or, or at your work or, or some of you at school, would you recognize him? Or, or would you only recognize what you want him to be? I'm serious about this question. Would you just have in your own mind kind of an idea, this is who I want you to be, God, and when you show up, I'll be happy with that. But Jesus, in this passage of Scripture, blows all that stuff away. That's why they're so silent. So I want you to follow with me in this passage of Scripture, and I'm going to share with you the two points Jesus makes in that day and then give you a couple application questions. And the first is he just stops and he proves the fact that the Messiah is the son of David, which is a no-brainer, so we'll go through that kind of quickly. And then he moves on in verses 43 to 46, and he says you need to understand that more than just the son of David, which you see him to be, he is the son of God, which has incredible implications for our life. So first he proves the Messiah, the son of David, verses 41 and 42. And the question that he has focuses on the issue that they thought was really important. And so as it says in Eugene Peterson's The Message, in a way that like the way he paraphrases is, he says that the Pharisees were regrouping after their questions, you know, about the taxes and resurrection and, and about the greatest commandment. They're kind of thrown off. It says Jesus caught them off balance, which he often does in our life. 
And he gave him his own test question. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they really responded rather quickly. He's David's son. You see, because they had no problem understanding who Jesus really, the Messiah, was supposed to be. They were well aware and learned back in elementary school, just like they learned the ABCs or the basics of math. They understood who this Messiah was. That was a well-known thing. Commonly accepted answer that the Christ, the one who would be anointed, this leader to come, was the son of David. I remember hearing this, and some of you have heard this little story, too, about being in Sunday school. And the Sunday school teacher was talking to her class and saying to the kids, I think it was a fourth grade class, you know, uh, I, want, I want you to, I'm going to ask you a question. This, it, it's, it, you tell me what it is. It's, it's gray and it's small, has a real bushy tail, likes to climb trees, and loves to eat nuts. What is it? And they're thinking for a second. One little fourth grade girl raises her hand and says, well, you know, it." It sounds like a squirrel and it it sounds like it acts like a squirrel, but, you know, we're in Sunday school, so it's got to be Jesus. (laughs) There is that kind of sense that when they said about the Messiah, it was just a basic thing. Oh, yeah, you're talking about some David. That's that simple and it's that basic. Because they had some important Old Testament passages that pointed to it. There's a number of places that point to it, but if you look at 2 Samuel chapter 7, Verses 13 through 14 to David himself, we're told that God comes to him and says, when your days are over, David, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you and I will establish his kingdom. And he is the one who will establish a house for my name, which is really interesting. I, I wish I could get into this, but we don't have time. But all about Matthew, as you come to the end of it and you see the death even of Stephen when they stone him in the book of Acts, it's all about the temple. The issue is the temple because Jesus was coming to make and establish a temple where he showed that God can live in your heart, that he can live in your heart. There's a new temple. And that's the big issue, but it, I, that's a whole other message. Anyway, I will establish this throne of your kingdom forever in the hearts of those who have that temple in their life. And so then you go to Isaiah 11, chapter, verse 1 and verse 10, God's promise to the prophet Isaiah. And I'll just read verse 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, David's father, who is Jesse. And from his roots a branch will bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Jeremiah 23, 5, another one of their great prophets says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to a David a righteous, a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. And so when they ask the question and Jesus says, who's the Messiah? The immediate answer is, well, it sounds like, acts like it's got to be the son of David. And what's really interesting is Jesus is setting the hook This is a perfect lead that he wanted to give them. He wanted them to walk right into it because they were very aware of the fact that he's the son of David. But Jesus knew that if they were really going to understand who God is and really understand the heart of God, they were really going to recognize the Spirit of God when the Spirit of God is on a life and the Spirit of God has come in Jesus. You have to see more than the son of David. There is much more at stake here. And so as you go on, you begin to see as we move into this passage, verse 43 and 45, he moves from proving the fact and and having them state that he's the son of David, that he says, no, the Messiah is more than that. In fact, guess what? He's the son of God. And that is incredibly important to understand. He said to him in verse 43, how is it then, David, and you've got to catch this in the Word of God, speaking by the Spirit, he is basically Jesus in that very moment, as Matthew records it, saying the Old Testament's the inspired Word of God. This is God's Word. In, in this is, is God speaking to us. So inspired, he says, speaking by the Spirit. How is it that David calls him Lord? 
For he says, and you've got to catch this here, the Lord said to my Lord, this is David speaking, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And then Jesus says, if then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? And I love the way God works in our life. He is, he is so gentle and kind and so loving and so merciful. He does not come and slap people up. He just comes all the time wooing us to begin to move and understand and to move and to, because he understands our dullness. And he, he's reaching out to these people to make a decision. He's calling them to a question. And he quotes from Psalm 110 here. That's what this, this Lord said to my Lord. It's a widely known messianic text. No one in, in Israel that day would deny that this was a messianic, a, a text of the anointed one to come. And so you note in this, it says, the Lord said to my Lord, the first, the Lord refers to God. And if you note the second mention of the Lord, the Lord said to my Lord, David speaking, he's talking about the Messiah. My Lord refers to the anointed one to come. And at the same time, uses the very same word that he's using prior to this. And he's basically saying, this is my God, this Messiah. David, Jesus points out with the question is calling the Messiah Lord. And so Jesus says that the Messiah is David's son. How can David call his own son Lord or literally, quite literally, God? You, you can't get around this. This is what the text is saying. I love what commentator William Barclay writes. He says the clear result of the argument is that it is not adequate to call the Messiah the son of David. And that's important. It's not adequate. It's okay. It's true. It's very important. He is not David's son. He is David's Lord. And when Jesus healed the blind men, we read in Matthew chapter 20, verse 30, they called him son of David. You read in Matthew 21, 9, when Jesus enters into Jerusalem and the crowd is hailing him as what? The son of David. And Jesus is here saying it's not enough to call the Messiah the son of David. It is not enough to think of him as the prince in David's line and earthly conqueror. You must go beyond that for the Messiah is David's Lord. Now, again, he's not suggesting the title Son of David is wrongly applied to him, but merely he's stating that such a view will distort the Messiah's mission because your conception is too simple. It's really too earthbound. It's too worldly. With only this view, if you only see Jesus as the Son of David, you will fail to recognize God's anointed when he really shows up among you. Because you will miss the most important, the deepest thing that's in the heart of God. You will miss the fact that he didn't come just as a conqueror who would come with this external force. That will happen someday. He came. No, he came in order to sacrifice and give his life in love on a cross. And you will miss the whole point. They will miss the whole thing if your eyes are still looking for this earthly conqueror, son of David. He's not suggesting that the title's wrong. He's just saying it's just not adequate if you really want to know who Jesus is. And here's the point of Matthew's gospel from the beginning. I just want to take you through a quick rehearsal of this. In, in Matthew 1, it lists the whole lineage all the way up to Jesus. Ends with the story of Joseph being told that he should wed Mary because she's with a child, God's child, and it's not his child. Joseph is aware of. 
And then we read this baby was miraculously born as the Son of God. That's chapter 1. You go to chapter 3, the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. Matthew at the baptism, it says, And a voice, verse 17 of chapter 3, came from heaven and said, This is my Son whom I love. With Him I'm well pleased. So you have this divine voice continually speaking as you go to the transfiguration, another real high point literally on a mountain. Verse chapter 17, it says, While Peter was speaking, a bright cloud enveloped Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, and a voice from the cloud said, Catch this, This is my Son whom I love. With Him I'm well pleased. Now, now these words, listen to Him. And then Matthew ends the Gospel, not with some Jewish trained person who is from a seminary background, but he ends it with the centurion standing with a spear at the cross of Christ, looking at the way this one died. And he cannot believe that someone could live the way that this person did before his eyes with such humility and sacrifice and love. And he says these words in Matthew, surely, Matthew 27, 54 is kind of a high point, surely he was the Son of God. And so Jesus moves to expand their thoughts, which have been so caught up looking for an earthly, physical, and political king to look once again above and beyond to that which is heavenly and spiritually and seeing him as a divine king. It's so interesting here. The Messiah comes not as an earthly conqueror who will repeat the military triumphs of David, but he comes as the Son of God who will demonstrate the love of God so that we can know his love and be in right relationship with him and through that love be in right relationship with other people. What I love about this is that Jesus is so, he just goes right to the heart and he goes, you guys, if you don't understand who I really am and you don't understand my claim on your life, if you don't understand that I am this God who has given my life, you will never ever understand, you will never ever see your own life rightly and your response to me. And so he makes this very clear as he stands there and he says, as he gets to the heart once again, and he says, only one who rules from the heart where the command of love rules as the greatest internal force will we ever know in our hearts and lives personal healing. It's this whole point that, you know, if you came as an earthly conqueror, the only thing, the power that comes from without can only curb behavior. But Jesus says, you need to understand, I didn't come from without to try and set up self-reform and somehow come and give you some new kind of self-help guru talk. I came in order that through my life, through the surrender of your heart, and understanding of your own sin and the sinful patterns that, that continue to mess things up in your life, if you will just surrender yourself to me, you will begin to experience and know the God, the, not just the Son of David who comes as the conqueror, but the Son of God who comes, who transforms the heart through love. And now you will experience not a love that curves your behavior, but you'll experience a love that transforms your behavior and begins to change your character. And so Jesus makes it really clear that you will not recognize him even today if you only see him as one who has come like the son of David. And so as Jesus spoke that day, there were a few who were caught up with what Jesus meant. I think as I look at this, I can imagine when Jesus spoke these words, even those who were the densest, you know, the, the not the real bright bulb in the pack, you know that thing? I bet you they felt a shiver. Because they knew they stood in the presence of the mysterious, eternal God. And they actually heard His voice. And when you hear the voice of God, I think the response often is silence. And... and 
Verse 46 says it well. No one could say a word in reply. From the day on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Because silence is the response of a sense of awe and terror that I'm standing before this most holy God. In fact, in Matthew 8, after Jesus stills the storm, it says the disciples look at him. They're awed and terrified. They don't really say anything, but this is what they're thinking. It says, in their hearts they say, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. In the early days of the Jewish nation, the people heard the voice of God on the mountain. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 to 18, listen to what this is recorded in these words that Moses tells us. The Lord your God, he says, Moses prophesies, will raise up for you a prophet like me among your own brothers. So they knew he was coming. You must listen to him. Sound familiar from some of the other ones in Matthew? For this is what he asked of you. Uh, what is what, for this is what you asked of the Lord your God when you were on Horeb. On that day of the assembly when you said... Let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see his great fire anymore, or we'll die. We cannot hear the voice of God. We cannot see it. And then God says, the Lord said to me, to Moses, what they say is good. It's really true. No one can stand directly in my presence, so I'm going to do something. I'm going to send someone, this anointed one, who will come as the son of David, but will be my own son, who will speak my word. And when I speak my word... He calls people to listen to him. So the Lord said to me, what they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you and I'll put my words in his mouth. Listen to him. And Matthew writes then, a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I will please listen to him. You hear the echo from the Old Testament to the New? And so Jesus asked the question as he comes in this day, he asked the question to each one of us, who do you say I am? And Jesus would often end his messages saying, if you have ears to hear, Listen, now I just want to share with you two applications, and that is this. If Jesus is not just the son of David, one who is born of man, but really is one who is born of God and speaks the word of God, do you listen to him? You may be in this process right now where you're trying to figure this out. You may see Jesus as a person who has come with some great teaching and, and, and lived a very moral life and has experienced um, some kind of spiritual depth where he loves people like he like no one we've ever known. But you, you just really still kind of hung up on, you know, the son of David. Yeah, they got the son of David. Right. And Jesus looks at you and he says, you know what? It's not just the son of David. You have to understand. Who the anointed one is. C.S. Lewis put it this way. If Jesus was not whom he claimed, then he gives us great what they call trilemma, the Lewis trilemma. You, then he must either be a lunatic, a liar or something worse. That's your three options. He expresses it most definitively in his book called Mere Christianity. He writes, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. The person says, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. Lewis writes, that is the one thing we must not say. A man who said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man, Jesus, is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He didn't leave that option open to anyone. 
Now, as you listen to this, you might be going, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, preach it. That's really right. And let me just ask you this. Because some of you go, yeah, I settled that. I really, you know what? It's not about what you know. These Pharisees knew a whole lot. I look at us as a church and the real question that we have to ask ourselves is, is a deeper question. In our daily life, as we live out this life, every morning, every night, every moment through the day, is Jesus the one who is your authority who begins to regulate and rule your life? Or let me put it this way. If Jesus was to show up in someone or in some way, would you be able to recognize him? Would you hear his voice? I'm serious. I want you to seriously consider. Would you hear the spirit of God and bow to his authority when someone you don't really find to be credible speaks to you? Would you hear his voice if someone who is really what you consider to be an enemy? Would you hear his voice if it came in some unusual way? Because it's all about a heart thing. It's not about what you know up here. It's about what you know in your heart. It's about how your heart responds to God. So I ask you to think about because I not just too long ago, someone gave me something and, and is a person that I sometimes not really too, you know, don't you all have people you just kind of. Well. And so I took it and I looked at it and I was just about to toss this thing aside. And it was like the spirit of God just went, how do you know I'm not speaking to you in this? And I remember I, stuck to the, I put it on my desk and I've been just praying about it and I'm going to ask some others to pray about it. That's sometimes what you have to do. Some of the hardest things we hear sometimes come from places that we may not usually choose to hear it from. So here's the issue. When the Holy Spirit speaks, I don't care from what direction do you hear him. And it's in line with the word of God. But you have to be careful there because some of your own little traditions get in the way of that. Are you open to the Holy Spirit speaking through a person who you may not feel has a lot of credibility? Are you open to the Holy Spirit through a person who doesn't believe as you do? Are you open to hearing the Holy Spirit Speaking to you some unusual way, maybe like a dream, a vision, or maybe a donkey. I use donkey because that happened in Scripture, right? I had an elder friend of mine said to me, you know, I often hear the voice of God, and strangely that voice sounds like my wife. Um, <laughs> here's the question. Do you see Jesus? Do you see Jesus when that hungry person stands before you? Do you see Jesus when that person who is thirsty stands before you? When the stranger knocks on your heart or the homeless person? I mean, I could go on. Jesus said, whatever you did for the least of these, you did who? For who? For me. It's all about recognizing the voice of God. It's all about recognizing that Jesus is who he said he is. He said he is the Messiah. He also said he's not just the son of David. He's the son of God. It's really hard for us to understand. It's that whole idea of the incarnation. How is it that God could be both man and both God in flesh. And yet he is. And if Jesus is who he says he is, then our hearts have to respond when his voice speaks. But the question is, do you hear his voice? I was just thinking about this this week. And um, kids, I'm going to get your attention here because we're closing right now. I don't maybe look like the example of incredible health and fitness. I wear clothes to hide that so you won't have to see that I'm just ripped. But anyway. Um, <laughs> but I say this because... I. I've gotten in the habit over a number of years now that I try and run three to four times a week. And I love it when it gets to be spring and it gets to be warmer because when I go to run, it's, you know, I like running outside. And so I like to run by my house and by my house where I live, I have like this, this about a three to four mile run, this kind of country mile that I run. And what's really fun is as I start to run, I have two dogs who love me and are loyal and they're just wonderful. So as I start to go out the driveway, they stand there and look at me. 
Oh, don't leave me and see a little line there that they don't go by that or they get this nice little shock from heaven. Um, and so I take off and I start running and I can't believe it. But I think for the 35 to 40 minutes that I run, they must sit in the front yard and wait. Because as I take this corner, as I start coming past this one point, I look up and I see my dog sitting like this with the horses in the run also looking this direction. If you look really hard in between the tree, my daughter took this picture there's this little white spot. That's me. And they see their master. I feed them. I take care of them. I mean, the horses are really rather mercenary. By that, I mean all they care about is eating. They really don't care. I don't think much about me personally. But those dogs, for some reason, are really well. And for some reason, when they, I come running up to them, they're just, I, I turn the corner, they start barking, and then they start running, and they want to, and when I come in, it's like, what can I do? Can I please you today? Oh, they recognize me. I'm their master. They see me from way out there. I'm telling you, other people run, other people ride bikes and everything else, but they don't sit there. And I thought about it, and I thought in my heart and my mind as I was thinking through this message, Does our heart long to hear God's voice? Does our heart look for God in the things around us? Do we really allow ourselves to be open to His presence? We are so much smarter than dogs and horses. And that may be our problem. Because there is a God who loves us. He loves you. He didn't look at these people and say these things because He's trying to hurt them, condemn them, or anything like that. He... He said those things because he knew there were some people out there who were struggling and in their life they had been hurt. They had been hurt by the church or by the synagogue or by the religion and all these other things. And it was the people who were hungry for God that flocked to him. And folks, that's what we have. A God who loves us like that. So he wants to speak to our hearts and he just says, do you recognize me?